if you're in the sales business, if your job, you got to find out what it is your customers really want. And if it's in your wheelhouse to deliver that, deliver that. So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time that we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I want to honor a mentor and a friend, someone I've known since the early 90s, who has shaped me as an entrepreneur, as a coach, as a consultant, as a business owner, as someone that prides themselves on repeatedly helping people scale their business, grow their business. Uh, that person is Jay Abraham. If you don't know Jay, uh, many refer to Jay as the, the $21 billion salesman. He has worked in a thousand different industries and his sort of expertise was the ability to synthesize what maybe works in manufacturing industry X and take it to direct to consumer sales service Y. You with me on this? Imagine having a thousand different jobs in a thousand different industries, thinking about just in the US with 32 million businesses. It's a fascinating thought to think the level of depth and exposure that he's had. Now I've worked with him in a significant way three times in my career, once in the early 90s when we were looking for a way to create a meaningful degree of separation before coaching even existed for my dad's organization, mine, or really anybody in the residential real estate space, mortgage finance, et cetera. Everybody back, everybody back then had a therapist or a manager or a mentor. And he challenged us with basically six ways to grow a business, which is what I want to talk with you about today. And then once again, when I launched this company 16 years ago, I called a friend, a mentor and said, this is what I'm thinking about. Can you give me some perspective? And most recently, um, over the last 12 months, I hired him again to, to help me figure out kind of what got me here more than likely is not going to get me there. What do I need to do again? Well, in each case, he went through six ways to grow any business, three, what he would, he would consider to be more basic or elementary, and then three more advanced. So I want to share the six today. And if you're, you know, whether you're, um, one of the 32 million people in the US that owns a business or in Canada or Mexico or anywhere in Europe, Australia, New Zealand, or South Africa, wherever you find yourself in the world. There, I'm gonna give you these US numbers because it's a research piece I'm doing right now. And, and if you're in a different country, do your research and, and look at these numbers in relationship to yours. Not saying this country is better or worse or different, it's just these numbers are readily accessible. So check this out. In the US, it has been measured that there's 32 million businesses in the US. So 32 million. Now remember, in today's day and age, that could include an Uber driver, a physical therapist, uh, someone that works at a hair salon, a real estate agent, someone that is a, you know, um, you know, a 1099 independent contractor is deemed a business owner, just like someone that owns 42 Starbucks, or that wouldn't be the case, 42 McDonald's or Blimpies, or they own the hair salon, they own the real estate company, etc. The fascinating part about this, and, and again, listen, listen, if you're an entrepreneur, 81% of them have no employees. So think about that. Like they own a business, they've started something on their own, 
Nick, my PT, my you know stretch, massage therapist, workout, D all the above guy, right? Richard Farley Jr., my physical trainer, Pam, my nutritionist, like just thinking of all these health people I have in my world. And each one of them technically is a business owner, one of 32 million in the US, only Pam has employees, right? Rich has some other 1099, so I guess technically, no, Rich also does too. Here's my point. 81% of them said, I'm going to be the chief cook, chief bottle washer. Like I'm in charge of marketing, finance, sales, logistics, tech, everything else, like everything that it takes to run a business. And they're doing it all themselves. Now, if you can relate to that, let me share with you the second statistic that I think is an easy correlation of the 32 million businesses, less than 4% will do more than a million dollars in revenue. Sit on that one for a second. 32 million businesses, if I, my math is correct, 1,280,000 of them, only 1,280,000 of them do more than a million dollars in revenue. So it's kind of like this. Some businesses made no money or lost money. Some made some money, 10,000, 5,000, 8,000. Some made 22,000. Maybe it was a side hustle business, right? That, like that certainly exists. And then all of a sudden you start, you know, six figures, 150, 250, 350, 450, still doing it all by myself. You know, I own the donut shop and I make the donuts and I get there at two o'clock in the morning and I do the bread and I make the money and I make the sales. And then I go home and I sleep for a couple hours and I come back and I make more donuts and I just repeat, 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 right? Something like that. And they do 350, 200, 400, yada, yada. By the way, if you're in the US, if you do more than $400,000, you're in the top 1% of all income earners, congratulations. You and I both know as a business owner, doesn't mean you actually have the money. It just means you're gross is what that is. And then all of a sudden you get to that million dollar mark and it literally goes like this, tick, 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 1 million, 1 million, $1, 1 million, $2, 1 million, $5. And all of a sudden it starts getting into the rarefied air and the rarefied air, if you study the math is north of 5 million, then it's north of 10 million. Then it's taking a business growing north of 25 million or 50 million, then a hundred million. And by the way, at a hundred million, a lot of companies, if they're set up strategically and it was their plan, they can now IPO, right? You can actually IPO before that now with some of the new things that tools that are available to you, but that was the traditional roadmap. And you look at companies today like Apple and some of the biggest oil companies on the planet, some of the biggest healthcare, billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars of revenue, hundreds of thousands of employees, right? And everything changes in that space. What I uh, deeply respected and always appreciated about Jay is like me, he deals with all of them, right? I deal with, you know, a real estate agent. I deal with, uh, you know, uh, two female CEOs that I'm coaching and I've invested in. One of them is north of a million. One of them is like basically at zero, almost in a freemium model. The same six rules apply to then the conversation I have with the CEO of a 6,000 salesperson, you know, $75 million in company dollar business, the same six rules apply to that person as it does to the person that says, I'm gonna drive Uber and also have a job. So I wanna walk you through the six and my intention is kind of twofold. A, I wanna just, I wanna, I wanna drop these, these sort of pebbles of thought into your head, almost sort of, metaphorically, like if your brain was sort of this calm, beautiful lake, I want to throw a pebble, maybe a rock, maybe that entire bottle of water, boom, right into it and see the ripple effect 
of that one idea and those ripples, by the way, is new clients, it's new revenue, it's new growth, maybe you get employees, maybe, maybe just maybe, it sparks the fire of ambition in you and allows you to take your business to that thing that everybody talks about, the next level. Remember, it's get to a million, million to five, five to 10, 10 to 25, right? 25 to 50, 50 to 100, and then it really gets bananas. So I want to talk to you about the six, as I said, two intentions, one to plant those seeds, to drop those pebbles into the pond of your mind and really have you think through, you know, how could I do this? Not could I, how could I do this, right? Like, can I take this on? What would this be like for me? Do I have that ambition, right? What are all the things I can do in my business? Cause you know, maybe I'm in a direct to sales business. Maybe I'm in a, a software sales. Maybe I'm building an app. Maybe I own a hair salon, like businesses, 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 business, right? Like all businesses, innovation and marketing, all businesses, finding clients and keeping clients. Like it's that simple, but these six apply to all of them, including some of the biggest companies on the planet that I get to deal with that some have gone public and some were already public and some of them are always going to be private and they're some of the biggest companies, some of the biggest brands. The point is the same six. So I want to spark the imagination and give you some tools. And then secondarily, I want to honor my mentor and someone that I call friend Jay Abraham as a constant thank you and reminder for his ability to plant these seeds in me and allow me to do the same. So here we go. You ready? There's six things you can do to drive your business. The first are obvious, the three he calls advanced. Number one is you increase the number of clients. Now, that should sound like the blind flash of the obvious, uh, and it is. And of course, my little side note next to that is also the discipline of tracking and measuring where the clients come from. So number one is you increase the number of clients. You wanna grow your business? Hey, if you're an Uber driver, you need, you need like clients all the time, right? No downtime, as an example. Uh, if you are, you know, um, <laughs> the guy that cut my hair forever, right? Daniel, who decided he wanted to be an artist in the afternoons, true story, wrote about it in Life by Design. I actually referred to him as like, he was my therapist, right? Because he was just one of those kind of guys. But he remembers him saying to me, look, Tom, what I need is I, I need to make a certain amount of money from my hair business, like cutting hair, dyeing hair, all that good stuff to then go take the time to do what I really want to do, which is my art in the afternoon. And you know, fast forward, Dan, if you're listening to this, man, I'm so proud of you. Cause now he's, he could, he could do 250 to $500,000 in commissioned artwork every year. But what he said to me was, I've got a time constraint on my business. And I said, Hey, what if you did the second principle, which is increase the average transaction value, increase the average transaction value, and you increase the number of clients. So transaction value could be price. Like what do you charge? fee if you're in a service business or commission business and or both. And, you know, of course, when you say this to someone like Daniel, who is a brilliant artist, oh, Tom, you don't understand my business. It's not going to work. And then I said, well, look, what if you, for example, said, I'm only going to work with these types of people. So you're going to attract a different clientele who wants to get their haircut. Listen to this at five o'clock in the morning. I'll be your first customer and I'll refer you people that are busy like me that are going to the gym, doing all the stuff early. We, you know, we don't have time to go to the, you know, to go get our haircut in the middle of the day. And I don't want to do it at seven o'clock at night. And I don't want to do it on the weekends. I want to do other things. And he said, there's just not enough people like that. I said, let's just try fast forward. He raises his fee. He switches his hours. And you know what? It took him about 18 months. And all of a sudden, like Brenda, all of his clients came in early in the morning 
And then basically he'd take a little power nap, do his thing, maybe go to the gym, and then he'd do his art, which somehow miraculously he could do his art until three o'clock in the morning because it was his absolute passion. And he was able to maintain the revenue he needed by getting the right clients, increasing the average transaction value and more clients. It's always the combination of the two, in my opinion, and voila, then he gets all the revenue on the art. So the first two, how can you increase the number of transactions or clients? How can you increase the number of clients? And we're going to, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of ideas to think about. Number two, how can you increase the average transaction value? If you're in the service business, can you raise the prices? Can you raise the prices when everybody else is dropping prices? Could you increase the margin you make so the price remains the same, but you can increase the margin? We'll get into that. Or could you do combinations of both? Right? If you're in the sales business and there's a commission and every commission seems to be negotiable, can you be the one that creates such a massive degree of separation and provides so much more value that the fee that you charge to the customer becomes not an issue where when all the apples are exactly the same, when all the apples are exactly the same, I'll take the inexpensive one, right? Because that's what consumers do. So those are the first two. And I hope already you're thinking whatever business you're in, so how am I gonna increase the number of clients I get? How am I gonna do that? There's so many ways to generate clients. How am I gonna do it? And then how could I increase the, the transaction value, right? Like if you were a, uh, someone in the mortgage business, you could say, how could I increase the average size of the loan, right? So do you have direct to consumer business? Do you go through agents? Do you go through builders, right? There's all kinds of different ways you can play that. If you're uh, in the service business, if you were a coach, you can say, how do I increase my fees, right? Or how do I increase the longevity, how long the customer is with me? That's another way to look at it, right? So there's, there's just a myriad of things that you can do if you're willing to take the time to think differently. Number three, he said, you always wanna look for ways to increase the frequency of how often your customers purchase. Now, you know, if you sell homes and the average consumer only buys and sells real estate once every 10 years, you might say, oh, well, I can't do that one. Well, really? Well, what if you said to yourself, look, my goal is uh, every time I sell a house, I want to sell them an investment property in the next two years. Well, if you did that, then you've achieved the mission, right? Even if it was only, let's say you did 20 transactions and you only got 10% of your customers to then buy a rental property in or out of your market, whatever works for you, just as an example, you've now increased the frequency of their purchase, right? If you, um, I like records, right? Now it's funny, like I don't have anybody outside of maybe Amazon and a couple like, you know, old record stores that I go to, but if there was actually somebody out there who sells records, like I would buy just about anything you can find me on David Bowie, Iggy Pop, Lou Reed, Led Zeppelin, The Beatles, and I would love, I'd spend more money, by the way, on anything that was original copy. Uh, I would spend a fortune on first edition books by uh, Brian Tracy, Earl Nightingale, uh, you know, anything by Napoleon Hill, on and on and on, right? Like, like, if you're in the sales business, if your job, you gotta find out what it is your customers really want, and if it's in your wheelhouse to deliver that, deliver that. Right, so often we settle for, they come in and they, I'm using the example of buying a house again, it's so easy. Oh my God, they're writing it off, they wanna buy a house, it's so great, okay, write it up, don't say anything too stupid, close the deal, ah, oh, commission. Instead of saying, wait a minute, what is the lifetime value of Tristan and Stephanie who just closed on their new house and have now been in for a couple months, right? Like, 
if 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 I was their agent, I'd already be saying, congratulations, you guys bought a place in Southern California. The average appreciation over the last two decades, right? And I'm using easy math. You bought a $400,000 place. The average appreciation is 7% per year, which means in the next five years, if everything goes exactly the same, your home value should be from here to here. You put this much money down, that means you're gonna have that much equity. So in seven years, we should plan to pull some of that money out and go buy an investment property or sell the property and go buy a duplex this time. See, if we start thinking about increasing the number of clients, if we start thinking about increasing the average value of the transaction, and then you start increasing the frequency of how often somebody works with you, just there alone, you could probably already with those three little pebbles in your beautiful brain, and maybe a whiteboard or a yellow notepad or however you take notes, right? Evernote, whatever you do. If you just sat for an hour or two and said, okay, my business is generating $100,000 a year or it's generating $100 million a year. How am I gonna get more new clients? What are all the different ways? And, you, and I'm gonna get into this in depth. What do you already do and what could you do, right? That's really the thing. Most people, you're doing exactly what you think you should do and you're missing out on tens of other opportunities, but I'm getting ahead of myself. How do I increase the average transaction value? How can I raise the price, raise the fees, or do both? And if you just sat there with that question and you just started writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and you didn't get caught up in the, well, that's never been done before in my industry or wow, that'd be counterintuitive to what my competitors are doing. And you didn't allow yourself to talk yourself out of it. The magic that comes from asking the right question is just that magic, right? And then number three, how do I increase the frequency of purchase? I think that's like one of my most favorite things to figure out. Like, you know, in, in any business, especially, um, think about like every um, juice company or health company that sells like products, right? And, and they actually do some other things, which you're going to see. But like, if I get somebody to buy from me every single month and they're buying my protein powder as an example, and they're spending $145 a month and they're on like auto ship, like if I called them and said, do you ever find yourself running low on that? What if we increased every other month one additional bag that would cover the difference so you always have enough protein, right? Something as simple as that, right? Before you start talking about upsells and other products that they could buy from you. The bottom line is this, I guess kind of tying off the first three before I give you the advanced ones is, we gotta think. We gotta be willing to slow down and think right? How am I going to increase the number of clients? How do I increase the average transaction value? And then how do I increase how often they purchase from me? And if you just do that, my friend, you're going to grow your business. It's automatic. It's guaranteed. As much as the sun's going to go up and the sun's going to go down, you're going to win. Now, let's talk about the three advanced strategies that he taught me. So the first thing he said to me is, look, once, once you got those three, and by the way, you're working on them all the time. You're never stopping doing that, right? You're putting automation and processes in place to keep those things humming all the time, creating a repeatable and scalable business. He said, then you have to ask yourself the three more advanced strategies. Number four on the list is penetrate a new market every 12 to 18 months. So, so let's say uh, my buddy, Steve, who started a juice company and I'm going to interview him on the podcast. So I'll save a little of the details. He starts out with three locations in Southern California, basically five minutes from his house. So he's got his three. 
And he's like, okay, I figured this out. We're making these juices. People are digging it. You know, we have good marketing. We have good branding. People are coming in. They're buying the juice. I'm making a decent margin. Each store is doing X hundred thousand dollars in revenue. You know, he's not personally back there, like pressing the juices. He's figured out this sort of almost McDonald's-esque, you know, if you will, solution. Now, what new markets do I want to penetrate? You with me? Where do I want to go from here? Right? And all of a sudden now it's like, oh, I'll go to Long Beach. Oh, let's go to Los Angeles. Oh my God, let's go to Phoenix. And all of a sudden, Texas. This is exactly what Starbucks did. Started up in Seattle and they're like, we're going to go here and then boom, look at Uber. Uber is the ultimate example of penetrate a new market, right? And if you go back to the early days of Uber, and I know anyone that's listening, right? There was a while when like we wouldn't even say the word Uber because of how many, how bad it was from an executive standpoint there. Like literally we wouldn't say, oh, we should get an Uber. We'd be like, oh, let's take a lift even though we actually got in an Uber because it was just so bad. But go back beyond that, right? Let that go. Instead, Uber would say, okay, we're going to Orange County, California, right? And they had a launch plan. They would find the influencers. They would find the drivers of all the different other limousine companies because things like LinkedIn show you everything, right? And all of a sudden, they're throwing parties and events at bars and and like they figured out like early, how do we go and launch and penetrate a new market? You could be a loan officer in San Diego and say, hey, right now I really only work uh, North San Diego County, but you know what? La Jolla, Del Mar, The Ranch, Point Loma, right? You could be, um, you could be a consultant and the way you've always done your business is face-to-face and overnight say, you know what, if I went from face-to-face, always able to shake their hand to Zoom, I can talk to you face-to-face and see you and still do all the same work. I'm just not in the same location. Thank you, GoToMeeting, Zoom, and others. Technically, I can take on entirely different countries, right, with the same approach. It's the same conversation. Every 12 to 18 months, you should be penetrating a new market, penetrating a new market. And by the way, that could be, I always sell this and I'm adding this new market into it. And it could also be an entirely new market, but I'm getting to the next one, which is five. Every 12 to 18 months, you should be introducing a new product or a new service to your customer base or the market. Let me say it to you again. Every 12 to 18 months, you should be introducing a new product or a new service to your existing customer base or your new prospects or that new market or your existing market every 12 to 18 months. Think about, let's use Starbucks as a wonderful example. And even though, actually this is actually great because if you pay attention, they actually pulled away from it and then modified it and refined it and switched it to something else. Remember when you'd walk into Starbucks and there'd be CDs to buy? So, so what were they doing, right? The, on the real estate side of, of my sort of mindset and training world, right? All my real estate clients know, I would say, look, you can stand or sit in a Starbucks, open up your laptop, have your company logo on your laptop, your headset on, act like you're on the phone talking to clients or not, or just sitting there doing research or whatever you do and meeting customers or whatever it is. And someone with your company name badge, someone's going to walk by and go, Hey man, you're in real estate. How's the market? What's going on? Right? Cause it's just, everybody wants to know. And I'm like, and the reason why is because more people go to Starbucks in 14 seconds than they will go to any one of your open houses anywhere in the world, right? And that's in, in like four hours, right? It's just, it's bananas, the foot traffic 
that Starbucks gets, that Bank of America gets at their banking centers, equivalent to what Walmart gets. It's just, it's bananas, right? But what did they say? We're going to introduce new products and new services to all these people coming in. And all of a sudden they were selling mugs, they were selling CDs, they were doing promotions. And then I think they kind of stepped back from that. If you, if you remember that trend and they said, we're not going to sell CDs anymore. That's kind of stupid, right? Cause people aren't walking in to get a CD. So you know what they said? Let's start selling cooler coffee supplies. And they went hard on that. Right. And you see them bringing out now it's occasionally a t-shirt or this, or that maybe is Pete's coffee by my house. Who's an also national brand. They're bringing in natural and automatic, like most likely to consume next products to their customers. Does that make sense? So like if I'm at Gulfstream and I'm selling jets, right? I actually almost thought to myself, like, I'm going to sell parachutes, but that actually might make sense, but it also might stop people from buying the jet. But like, I'm not going to say, hey, thank you so much for coming and buying our Gulfstream airplane. Uh, let me also talk to you about our life insurance policies. Like it just, even though that does kind of make sense, it doesn't make any sense. You with me on this? So you want to think about when you're introducing a new product, when you're introducing a new service, does it have a natural fit? Is there a need in the market for your customer for you to bring that to? So if I'm cutting hair and I don't, for example, do a beard trim or do the high and tight, I only do a more classic hairstyle or I don't do the, um, I'm like, you know, hair dyeing and whatever all those products are, you know, like perms, I almost said, like I didn't look at my team, like all that stuff, right? Like that's another example. Or you know what? Hey, I own my salon, the place that I go, right? So big shout out to the Den Barber down in Laguna Beach. If I walk inside there, you know what they sell? Hair gel, beard gel, all these things that are natural and automatic that I'm going to go buy from amazon.com. But I'm, since I'm there and I just got my hair cut and they trim my beard. Yeah. Give me that stuff. Does that make sense? So penetrate a new market every 12 to 18 months, right? Go after a new market every 12 to 18 months or introduce a new product or service every 12 to 18 months that would be a natural fit for what you do and what your customers want, what your database, what your list wants. And then number six is you should be buying or purchasing, merging, however you want to do it, one of your competitor's business every 12 to 18 months. Now that's the more advanced one, right? That's the more advanced one. Hey, it's Tom. If you've been listening to me for a while, you've heard me say repeatedly over and over again, we are living in the review economy. That's right. Consumers are making decisions based upon reviews. With that said, I'm looking to get this podcast into the minds of more amazing people just like you. You can help. Would you go to Apple Podcasts and write a review? Tell them what you think. Hey, one star, five stars, make up your own number of stars. Totally fine by me, but please, Go to Apple Podcast and write a review. It means the world to me. Thanks in advance. Now, let's get back to the show. So think about Super 73, right? Super 73, they need to increase the number of clients, always, right? Super 73, if you don't know that, Tristan and his wife are a part of this like fantastic like tribe of people that ride these like really cool electric bikes. And they've, you know, they've driven in New York City and San Francisco and all over LA and they live in Orange County and he shot videos on them. And by the way, they pay him commissions because of that. I mean, it helped you buy the house. Like it's like they figured out increased clients by offering referral fees, right? As an example, we're going to get into all that stuff, but they've also increased the actual cost of the unit. 
by adding on additional things that you can do to the bike. So instead of just getting the standard bike, oh, what do you like leather seats or do you want like the pleather seats? Do you want suspension? Do you want these tires, those tires? Do you want, you know, some additional this, some of that, right? And all of a sudden you walk in, it's totally counter to the company. Remember Saturn, the car company? Like Saturn, you walked into a Saturn and you were like, you're like, hey, you know, can I get like a, you know, $1,000 off? Like the price is $13,999 because we only build one car and there's no ups and extras. It just is what it is, right? You want to put bigger tires on it? You do it on your own. We don't do that. Here is the car. Tesla, interestingly enough, used to have on the S model, the S, the, the P85, the P60, the P100, the P100D. You know what they have now? The S model and the super fast S model, that's it. They've simplified and actually brought the price down because what did they do? They penetrated new markets. How about a truck? How about a supercar, right? So they simplified to increase manufacturing to improve results. If you're paying attention to Tesla, I'm super long on that stock. And then they penetrated new markets. Let's go after the truck market, which is huge in the US, right? Can you see if you start thinking about businesses that you're watching, right? It's automatic, right? Why did, why did um, you know, Disney buy Pixar, right? Disney bought Pixar. Like if you, if you actually, um, I forget the name of the online courses you can go to, but Bob Iger, who's the CEO, who's like an uh, executive at ABC, who now is running Disney, which is a monster global enterprise with how many, it's, it, looks like, it looks like GE, but it's entertainment, right? Parks, movies, this, video, yada, yada. They bought Pixar because he very openly said they have better talent, more creative talent, and they're kicking our butt. And it's too hard for me to find the talent. I'll just go acquire them. Buy a competitor every 12 to 18 months, right? He buys Star Wars. And what does he do? He increases the transaction value. He increases clients by creating younger Star Wars related products to find younger people. And then he hits all the rest of us with nostalgia products. This is business, my friend. So if you're watching this right now and you feel like I'm bouncing all over the place, I, I probably am. But it's because like some people have hobbies like surfing and skating. Like my hobby is business. Like I'm fascinated by why somebody can go from $100,000 to a million to 10 million and do it in five or six years because they look at this as a framework and they just find the nuance and the sequence and bam, they skyrocket. So that's the six. Now, I'm not going to go in-depth on every one of them. I'm going to talk about a couple of them just to maybe plant a couple more of those pebbles into that pond of your brain. So let's talk about how do we get more new clients. This is one of the easiest things because as a marketeer, it's something that I just, I thrive on, right? Would it shock you to hear that most businesses have one, two, maybe three ways that they generate customers? right? One, two, three ways. So think about it like a um, buddy of mine used to own a couple of gas stations. So what does a gas station do, you know, at the corner of PCH and avocado to generate new clients? So there's a lighted sign and maybe they're 24 hours and then they're pricing. That's basically it, right? How many gas stations have you seen on social media, right? How many, how many gas stations have said to you, you know, Tom, you come here all the time. And we know you got that Tesla, so you come a little bit less, but you know, we're, we want to ask you for your email address because we'd like to be able to send you special promotions or, and I'm you know, making this up or, you know, 
an opportunity for you anytime you want to get one of your cars fixed, whether taking it in. Because you come here so often, we want to give you a discount on tires, on this, on that. What, what are they doing? They're increasing the average transaction value. They're increasing the frequency of purchase. Like any business can do this. Like using a gas station as a perfect example, like this simplified commodity that you could suddenly, if you actually were thoughtful, you could grow pretty rapidly direct to your bottom line. So let's talk about it. You ready? Here's some, just some thoughts I wrote down. So the first thing is if the average business one, two or three ways, right? What already works in your business? That's the first thing you always stop and say what already works. And what you want to figure out is what is your average cost to acquire a client? I was on the phone a couple of days ago with a client of mine, um, who is a very successful real estate broker in New York City, longtime client, big shout out to Josh Rubin. So we're analyzing, you know, 29% of his business comes by way of referral from his database. 33% of his business comes through his direct mail campaign, which he does kind of, you know, all over the city and, and does a wonderful job there. And then it kind of drops off like 6% here, 8% there, 5% here, 2% here, 12% there, et cetera. And my job is to try and optimize what already works and make it better. Right. You do that by increasing the frequency of what already works. So like, Hey, if you do direct mail and you only send one piece a month and it works, send two, see what happens. Try it for 120 days and, and increase it. Right. You can also change the approach. I said to him, you've been sending the same postcards over and over and over again for eight years. And as good as they are, right. If we, if you just took a postcard and instead of having a standard four by six, you did a circle right? A circle, you know, you can actually have postcards that are a circle. I said, or if you paid somebody to do what appeared to be hand addressed, hand stamped little envelopes that are in a manila, you know, off, off white color, and it wasn't branded to your business. And it was a little thicker because they put some extra papers inside there that you wanted to demonstrate your value with as an example. Now all of a sudden I think I'm getting in a wedding invitation. And by the way, if you put a wedding cake on the little thing, forget it. Everybody opens that thing up. And in direct response marketing, the whole game is, can I get in front of the customer? And, and what, if you put a wedding cake stamp on a direct mail piece like that, you have to address the fact that you did that. So it's not like, Hey, gotcha. Right? Like that kind of marketing, but it's instead, I'm sure you noticed the wedding cake stamp. The reason why I did that is I discovered I get a 29% lift in my open rates demonstrating simply one more thoughtful and analytical way that I help my customers sell faster, sell in less time, and ultimately have a better five-star experience. If you're looking for someone that thinks out of the box and does things differently with the customer's intent in mind, reach out, go to my website, read my reviews, contact me today. Does that make sense? Like it's that kind of stuff. So increasing the frequency, increasing or changing your approach, and then changing the offer. Um, it's funny cause one of my close friends and I actually interviewed him on the show a long time ago. We should probably bring him back. Um, he's recognized as one of the greatest direct to consumer television, like direct response marketeers. He does infomercials, you know, 25 to 30 of them a year since like 1988. His very first one dating myself was this beautiful 22 minute commercial by a company called hooked on phonics. And you, you know, what I'm you remember that program? Like call 1-800-ABCDEFG and like, you know, he's the writer, producer, director, you know, director, creative, like that's his DNA. That's his secret sauce. He said, when you get the offer and the story, right, the thing just sells itself, right? They took it from this fledgling little idea to $150 million a year business 
just like this over and over. You know what they did? They increased the number of clients by changing the frequency, right? Increasing or changing the approach, going direct to consumer on television, and then changing the offer, telling a story. I, I mean, literally, Tristan, I can remember the commercial where like these kids are like in the fourth grade, right? And they're like, I'd go to school and everybody else knew how to read and I didn't know how to read and I was, I just, well, I was so embarrassed. I, I never wanted to go to school. Then they flashed the, the, the mom who would say, and I just knew that, you know, uh, little, little Sarah was just so upset. So I, I got her this program and oh my, and also, and then they fast forward the kid. And all of a sudden now I'm reading on the fifth grade level and I'm afraid of, and, and just caught, and I get, I get goosebumps. Who's not going to buy that for their kid? You with me? Like, I mean, it's not like, you know, you're selling the popcorn machine or the bread maker or the, you know, whatever other crazy things are now sold on infomercials. But like, it was so awesome. He was using the same exact formula. Increase the number of clients. By the way, they also did increase the transaction value because when the customer called in and said, I'd like that, they'd say, well, we also have one on math. Well, we also have one on history. And now all of a sudden that 200, you know, 160, you know, three easy payments of 99.95, whatever it was, suddenly became a $400 sale just like that. See, you might be saying, but why sell real estate? Like, okay, well, Josh, right? Going back to Josh, what already works? Like, let's, if you're doing two direct mail pieces a month, all I said was, let's just change the second piece. Keep the branding steady and consistent because we don't want to mess with that. Like they already recognize that blue card, the photo, the, 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 but let's change it up. Let's do the hand address, hand snap card. Let's do a round card. Let's do a vertical card. Let's change the frequency. If it's always the first and the 15th, mess with them and go first and 18th, first and 20th. See what happens, right? Maybe we try three pieces a month and see what happens. You've got to be have, you got to be have, you know what I mean? You got to have this thoughtful mindset of always be testing, right? Always be testing, always being willing not to break the model, but to tweak and to measure and to see, because you know what? Jay once said to me, if you, if, if let's say your, let's say your job is you sell things at trade shows, right? So people are walking up and you're doing something that's drawing in their attention. So one thing is I can say, Tristan, nice to meet you and I shake their hand. He said, you know what we did? We tested this. Grab their hand, put your other hand on it, warmly embrace them and say, hey, it's really nice to meet you. Thanks for coming by. What brought you in? He said, one adjust in the script. He goes, but the hand over the hand was the game changer. You could be one tiny adjustment away from geometry kicking in and having a massive increase in the number of clients and what they in turn do with you and then the referrals that they get generated and on and on and on. But you got to stop and think. So I've only covered one point on this. Let me give you some other thoughts. You ready? So I also wrote down, um, how many ways can you generate a client? How many ways can you generate a client? Whatever business you're in. So I just, here's some thoughts. Ready? Uh, can you sign up for every possible portal or referral site or community site in your space? The answer is yes. Could you actually buy qualified lists of prospects that are most likely to buy your stuff? Yes, there's list brokers all over the world that sell. These men and women own houses like this, have this kind of net worth, buy these kind of things, love this kind of stuff, right? And you could market your high-end services to them. Like that's done every single day. Could you do event marketing? 
think about like the um, I think about like financial planners, right? When when they went so far with referrals and all of a sudden now they're like, wait a minute, like there's a lot more competition in the space. So you know what they started doing? High-end lunches inviting prospects that match a certain criteria off a list they probably bought or, you know, demographically in communities they could just target through direct mail with this cool little envelope. I still get them today. It's hysterical with, we'd love to invite you to a lunch presented by Merrill Lynch or Hooby Doo or blah, 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 whatever the company is. Right. And they'd say, you know, we're gonna have this beautiful lunch at the Fairmont hotel and over, you know, 45 minutes, Hooby Doo expert economist is going to talk about ABC one, two, three. And for people at your level, we know you're interested in this. So simply call text, email, RSVP, who and how many else, right? Your guests, yada, yada. And then like in tinier print, and by the way, while you're there, we want to also talk to you about X. Right. And, and guess what? Like that's a very effective, easy way to build your business. I built my business. I had the president of my company for the first three years. I sold my car. I bought a, like a Lincoln town car. Cause I thought that was appropriate. And that sounds so just like stupid. Now um, I should have just bought like a BMW or something. It would have been better. But instead of having an assistant, I said, you're going to be my driver slash assistant. And this guy, Sean, Steve would call and book office meetings for me to go to. Now, before you say, wow, Ferry, that's rather archaic. What if I told you I was just following the line of the greats? Brian Tracy did the same thing. So did Tony Robbins. They both did it for a guy named Jim Rohn, except they had to book their own appointments. At least I had Steve making phone calls for me. I would go in and do office meetings, make a compelling presentation at the very end, do a three to four minute pitch on whatever service or event I was doing. And you know what? First year, 2.1 million in revenue. Second year, just under five. Third year, pushing 10 million. And then we had the global financial crisis, which is a whole other story. But my point to you is that one strategy massively grew my business. That's one approach. Maybe you're not taking it. How about partnership marketing? This is one that I see a lot of people miss. So first of all, you've got, you've got other businesses that are looking to attract your clientele and you right, can look at their businesses and say, I want their clientele. So why not, for example, use it, I'll use an easy, uh, easy example. Take a financial planner and a real estate agent. Take a, take a CPA and a financial planner. And the CPA is like, I've got all these families that I do their taxes for. And the financial planner is like, I have all these people that I'm basically selling them life insurance, putting their money into stocks, bonds, whatever it is, yada, helping manage their assets, you know, trusts and everything else. Why would we not co-market to our lists an event or a webinar series or create a book or record a CD or a podcast or a download and basically cross promote each other. What do we know today? 90% of consumers are making their decisions based upon reviews, right? A referral is a review face-to-face -face in email to a friend. Brenda, I strongly recommend you go to this guy. He's bananas, right? That's the same thing as going to Yelp, Google, uh, if you're in real estate, Zillow, right, et cetera, and reading a bunch of reviews and saying 90% of these people keep saying this guy must, he's good, she's trustworthy, so I'm going to use them. But when you do sponsorship marketing, co-branded marketing, it's the same exact thing. We do all these events with other partners, people that I believe in because they provide unbelievable value. We co-market together. They bring people, I bring people. Everybody wins. The dynamic in the audience is awesome. Are you doing that? Then I wrote down, then the obvious, right? 
how many different referral strategies do you have today? Jay would always say, like at, at even one of my own events, he'd say, raise your hands if you have more than one way to generate referrals. Every hand would go up. Two ways, few less hands would go up. He'd say, how many of you have more than three strategies that you have operationalized in your business that generate referrals? A few less hands. Four, maybe two hands out of a thousand. Five, and then he would remind everybody that in 1988, he wrote a thing called the 93 referral strategies which you can Google today and find online. There's so many ways to generate referrals. And, and look, everybody wants more referrals. They have a tendency to buy easier, buy faster, spend more, have less friction. Like all the things that even like a, in the residential real estate space, I've been a huge fan of clients like get as many reviews on your site, on Zillow, on Yelp, on Google, whatever, whatever works for you, but get a lot. Because when clients read those, it, metaphorically greases the wheel and makes it easier for them to decide because you're a proven entity, right? It's like going to somebody's YouTube channel and they say, I'm a world famous videographer and there's three videos, right? You'd be like, what? I'm a podcast expert and you have one, right? Like you would be like kind of scratching your head. But if you're like podcast expert and you see, you know, like, I don't know, 80, 90, 100, 10 years worth of content. Like if you went to my YouTube channel, you'd be like, okay, he's probably been doing this for a while. Look at all the views, look at all the comments, right? It, it like, that's like a referral. It's the same thing. You've got to use that strategy. So my question for you is, when was the last time you sat down and said, what are all the different ways I ask for a referral? And then what are all the ways that I communicate with my database, right? The buyers and the non-buyers, my true past clients, my sphere, and these people that are just randomly in my database because they went to your website or you bought a list, whatever it may be. You can do it via video, you can do it via email, you can do it via call, you can do it via text, you can do it via private message, you can do it via direct mail piece, you can run radio ads, you can do television, you can do print, you can do billboards. I think you get sort of the gist of where I'm going here. Like the thing that I see with entrepreneurs more than anything else is they do what they know. And the problem is most people, myself included, the reason why I'm honoring Jay in this, Jay just kept opening doors. Mike Vance, right, my great mentor, just kept opening doors of new ideas, new ways of looking at things. How do you plus enhance? How do you iterate? How do you, how do you take, you know, this and turn it into this? You know what I mean? Like a hourglass into a watch. Make things better. Do it better, right? That's what I want you to get here. So I covered a lot. By the way, did I talk about sales teams and field teams? Like there's just, there's so many things that you can do to build your business, right? I don't care if you are listening to me right now and you're like, what are you talking about? Like I'm in the MLM business. I'm doing some direct sales. I'm Amway or I'm, I'm running a hair salon or I'm a real estate agent. Like you can explode if you choose to just by looking at the very first strategy, which is just attract more clients. Number two, just some thoughts around increasing transaction value. So, so a couple of things I always look at is number one, can I raise my price point, right? So if I want to increase the transaction value, can I raise my price point, right? So that's one, like, so if I was in real estate, if my average sales price is 445, I don't probably want to go to a million because what if the million price range isn't selling fast and there's competition everywhere. So don't worry about that. You can always beat the competitor, but but if I'm in the bread and butter price range, can I just eke it up by like 50 grand? 50 grand at 3% or two and a half or 2.75% commission adds up, right? It's the, it's the compound effect. So, 
Um, if I'm at a service business, can I, can I raise my prices? Maybe not on your existing customers, but on new customers coming in because you added a new feature as an example, or just because you never raise your price points. There's a lot of people that just never raise their price points and they've just always been the same. And you know what? Like it three to 5% increase in life expenses every single year. Just start there. If you're not increasing your, your fees or your prices in your service business, to at least match what it costs to run your business and your life and how the global economy works, you're making a mistake. Number two, how can you increase your fee on the front, back, or both? How can you increase your fee on the front, back, or both? Um, one, of my, one of my pals I'm gonna invite in, I'll just call him Dave and I won't give away too much of the story. Dave and I have known each other for a long time. Dave is in a service business. His business is helping companies that want to grow through acquisition by having an analytics team that studies all these different markets and finds all the businesses and all the business owners and makes them a value proposition like ever thought about selling your business. What's fa fantastic about this, when Dave and I first started talking about his business, and he's a brilliant, brilliant dude, he had like 27 companies paying him X thousands of dollars a month, basically as a, we're gonna put you on retainer to go find people that want to sell their business so we can acquire and grow, right? Like that was the model. What if I told you today he's got a hundred of those and he just added a new salesperson for the first time and he wants to add it by another hundred. So he's going from, you know, mid twenties, thirties to a hundred at the same exact revenue cost. Plus every time he closes a deal, guess what? He gets a success fee. So he gets like a commission. And because Dave is really smart, he knows that most of these private equity firms that are buying these companies or these larger conglomerates that are buying these are buying them to spin them off as in fix and flip them like in housing, fix and flip like buying stuff at, you know, at Gary V talks about like go to the local garage sales and find stuff, clean it up, put it on eBay. That's called fixing and flipping, right? It's the same exact strategy, smaller price point, house, larger price point, business, maybe really large price point, right? Well, all of a sudden he said, instead of taking the entire commission, what if I took half my commission and put it into the deal as equity, and then five to seven years later, when it sells, I gain the appreciation of the equity, and I trigger again, he gets paid three times. That is what I'm talking about. Can you increase your fee, front, back, or both? Make sense? Be creative, think about it architect it, get into your Google doc or your Excel doc and play around with the math. And then another example of increasing your transaction volume is, you know, can you convert one off to reoccurring? So I'm fascinated by this because um, I've been going to a conference called Saster for, I think for the last five years. Saster is uh, software as a service and uh, Jason Lemkin founded this. Many refer to him as the godfather of SaaS. And I remember listening to a podcast with him where he was talking about how software used to be acquired. So can you guys think about how soft, like you remember like the first time you bought um, Microsoft suite of services? Was it in a box? Was it like maybe even on a memory stick that you downloaded a CD ROM? Like that's an example. Well, when was the last time that happened? Right. Gotta be 15 years. Well, it used to be delivered. Software used to be delivered in a box like this. Now, how is software delivered? My sons are on their game devicing things and they're literally like, Oh yeah, we want the upgrade. Boop. They're like, it's all through the web and it's all SaaS based. And they went from $29 a month to $49 a month, or they put a $100 charge on it to, in addition to the $29 a month. 
That's the way the world's gone. And what's fantastic is you look at companies like Microsoft, this enormous company that, you know, billions and billions of dollars in revenue, and they switched their model from buy my box and upload it to pay us monthly. Now you look at companies like Salesforce, you look at most of the businesses that I like to invest in, these are these SaaS-based companies that your credit card gets charged every single month. And by the way, there's equal headaches in both because now you have to deal with things like churn and cost of sale and onboarding and all these other things. But here's the thing, like that's another way because they've increased lifetime value and they've increased the value of the transaction where maybe I bought that software Windows 95, really dating myself here, and I didn't upgrade until Windows 98, well, now instead of that one-time $199 charge, now I'm paying $18 a month, $29 a month. And guess what? The upgrades are just coming in, coming in, coming in. And they're like, we don't care. We're going to own you forever. Um, I'll give you another example. Uh, an exotic car company, um, Ferrari specifically. Ferrari says, hey, look, it almost doesn't matter what the sticker price of the car is. Like literally their model is, we're going to get you for $4,000 a month until you die. Like that's like, that's their mindset. Like they figured out that they can sell these, you know, 100,000, 200, you know, used 200,000, 300,000, 500,000. Okay. La Ferrari, maybe 3 million, right? That kind of stuff. But, but what they want, they want the same thing. They want monthly reoccurring revenue all the time. Like that's the Tesla, same thing, right? You know, who's, who's I don't know who it is, but we got to figure it out. We, I need to Google this. Who invented the car lease? Cause whoever engineered that deal is a bazillionaire. Because instead of us walking in, getting a loan, right? And the banks, forget it. You know, the banks just kill it on this because they like payments. That's called reoccurring revenue, housing, et cetera. You look at like the cars, man. Like they basically say, once you like Tesla, we're going to have you for 30 years at $1,600 a month or what, you know, whatever the payment is, right? As an example. Zolly Frank. Frank. Big shout out to, Z let's, let's make sure I connect with him on LinkedIn. That would be bananas to get him on this, on this podcast. Oh, he's passed away. Sorry, Zolly. You, well, we could do this. Zolly, tell me, right? But so that's another way for you to increase the transaction value. Um, another thought for you to consider is, can you offer add-ons or bundles, right? Can you offer add-ons or bundles? And I use the, the sort of example of the um, uh, hooked on phonics, right? So you've got this acquisition cost. Remember, like think about the infomercial world, right? So you develop this product, and you manufacture this product, a lot of cost in that. You don't, you try not to do too much before you do your test. You film, then you do an A, B, and then an A, B test of the film, which one produced the most phone calls, right? Long before you go to the expensive markets, you're in the really inexpensive B, C, and D cost markets. And think Google, same exact thing, right? Same exact thing on television. And then once they figure out the secret sauce, literally, Venture capital is just the people line up with money and say, here's a hundred million, here's 500 million, here's whatever you need because every dollar they generate, they might make a dollar 55. And you say, well, God, spend a dollar, make a buck 55. Yeah, well, spend 300 million and then make the 55 cents on every one of those dollars. You with me on this? It's called arbitraging. Like there's a lot of money in this. But then when they figured out, hey, wait a minute, the acquisition cost to get that client to make the phone call and actually say, I want the product, you know, one out of three callers buy as an example, two out of seven, whatever your numbers are. They're like, wait a minute. But once I have that buyer on the phone and I've already got their credit card ordered, 
Tristan, before I let you off the line, did you also want to think about, you know, we've got these tassels that everyone seems to have now on all their bikes. And look, it's only an extra $29. We can just add it to your order. Sure. Look at Amazon. Amazon is the ultimate example of this. I'm like, you know, I need soap. How did soap suddenly come with face wash, a deodorant, two David Bowie records? Like, that's my last order. Like, you know, a purse for my wife. I, I wanted soap. But Amazon's like, you normally buy a lot of this and you often do times do a little of this. And people that buy this also buy these things, right? It's the same. You see it everywhere. You see it everywhere. But are you looking at your own business? Are you enamored by Amazon or Tesla and all these other companies? Are you saying, wait a minute, I own a dry cleaning business. I can use all these same principles. The last one I'm going to talk about, number three. Now I'll do a few more. Increase the frequency of your purchase. So how do I get my customers to buy from me more often? Like that's a question you should be asking all the time. Now there's a lot of different ways you can frame it. One is to ask, what do my customers want that I don't provide? Because maybe I can bundle or partner with a great service provider who I trust and I properly vetted and I can get them to make a presentation to my customers and maybe I get paid a fee, maybe it's a reoccurring fee, maybe it's a one-off, maybe I don't care because it's just the right thing for the client. There's all kinds of ways you can do it and I've done all those, right? How do you increase the frequency of the purchase of your customers? You gotta spend time on that. My team literally just said to me, you've been going for 55 minutes and you're only at three. I'm gonna go a little longer. All right, so let's just talk high level about the three advanced ways. Penetrate a new market every 12 to 18 months, right? You're here in this county, can you go to that county? You only do in English, can you add Spanish? There's so many different ways that you can do this, ready? How many different ways can you penetrate and what additional markets would be the most natural and automatic markets for you to go into? I say to real estate agents, okay, you got your, you got your database, you added a new, uh, a new solution, you're buying leads from Zillow, you got a direct mail campaign into a community of homes and you mail two times a month to 500 houses, there's a 6% annual conversion, the average sales price is $500,000, the addressable commission market is you know, somewhere in the range of $600,000, you're gonna spend you know, $1,000 a month to get this done and one transaction pays for the entire year, right? And you're doing seven transactions. So you're spending one and you're making six, like that's a no brainer. Why would you not add more markets? Does that make sense? Like I have clients today that mail to 110,000 properties. You wanna know why? Because it works. Because every time they put a dollar in, they make six or seven back. Like it's a no brainer. So penetrating markets. Number five, introduce new products and services. This is something that as a, as a entrepreneur and business person, I've always prided myself on, like adding new seminars. This year we're operating, adding Operations Edge. Two years ago, with the help of Jason Pantana, we added Marketing Edge to our already mix of products, Summit and Shift and Leadership, et cetera. So you gotta ask yourself, what are the needs of my customers, right? What new products or services might they need, again, that I could bundle, partner, do on my own, et cetera. So I, I got that, being mindful of time. But the last one, number six, I love, which is purchase competition or competitor's business every 12 to 18 months. Now, the first thing you should do with this point is go sit down with your bank and say, let's review the EBITDA of my business, the earnings before taxes, depreciation, and amortization, simple way to describe it is profit. And say, so if my profit is making this up $200,000 a year, 
There's a lot of banks that will loan you three times your profit, as an example, if you're gonna go out and acquire another business that has revenue. Now, I don't know your bank. I know my bank. They'll, they'll do more than that if it makes sense. I always say, if you're an entrepreneur and you don't have a great banking relationship, you're in trouble. If you're an entrepreneur and you don't know two or three other investors, right, just through your sphere or through transactions in the past or people that triggered in their business, right, that you're not always nurturing those relationships. So all of a sudden I call Tristan and say, hey man, I just came across an opportunity and I know you guys built that business and you sold it, but I can buy this business. Maybe we do it in a partnership. It may cost us, I bought, I bought a business last year, $600,000 and using the same exact principles, right, that I'm talking about right here, generated all of my upfront capital in nine months. I got all my upfront capital costs basically recouped to me and now everything is profit. Think about that. Like using the same, it wasn't a monster acquisition. I'm not, you know, going out and buying a $10 million business. It was half of a business, 600,000 bucks. And you may say that sounds like a lot of money and it is, I'm honoring that. But my point is, because I know how to increase the number of clients, increase the frequency of purchase, increase the transaction value, I got all my money back. Didn't even have to do a loan, right? Now it's all profit. Think about these six. Think about these six. And I know I'm going fast at the end and we maybe will do a whole thing because I can certainly do a whole thing just on the last three. But you're a bright person. You know, and I know, most entrepreneurs start a business one of a couple different ways. They, you know, they went to work for the man and they hated it and they said, I can do it better. And they said, I'm just going to go start my own thing. And they basically went into doing widgets or whatever widgets is. Right. And the problem is because they, they weren't thinking like a CEO when they did it, they were probably angry or upset or maybe inspired. Um, you know, they, they kind of fall in the trap of just doing the work. So if you have been doing the work and not thinking about marketing, not thinking about client acquisition, not thinking about any of the things I'm discussing because you're just so busy doing the work, like I own a donut shop and I sell the donuts and I make the donuts and I sometimes eat the donuts and I'm donut, 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 donut. Like if you don't pull back from that and think like, how can I have like maybe 50 of these and never make another donut as long as I'm alive and just be known as the legendary donut king, right? If you're not looking at this stuff, you're that entrepreneur. The second kind of entrepreneur is that person who, you know, like I, I talked to them all the time. They had a, had a, Good or bad upbringing doesn't make a difference. Went to college or they didn't doesn't make a difference. Uh, you know, she's suddenly 40, 45. Maybe she's raised a husband or two. Maybe she's raised some kids or not. And she realizes that she's gone as far as she can go in that career. And with 25 years of professional experience, she sees an opportunity and she's like, I'm going to go for this. Right. And maybe she partners, maybe she buys, maybe she acquires, maybe she merges, you know, maybe she goes and says, Hey, I'll come in and I'll work for five years and we'll do a, like a, you know, like an ESOP employee stock option deal, like, or I'll buy it out from you over time. There's so many different ways. I see that one all the time. Right. And then I see the, you know, Hey, I've ran my career and now I'm 65 or 70 and I want to go start something. And like, I see them all. But the thing is, if you don't have a framework for growth, 32 million businesses in the U.S., 81% no employees, which means you do all the work, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it's all on you. You own a business, but what you really have is a job. You got five times the stress for less money. I'm gonna say it to you again. You got five times the stress for less money. Or you're that less than, four, you know, less than 4% of the businesses in the U.S., 32 million of them that are doing less than a million dollars in revenue, and you just don't have enough revenue 
to, in many cases, justify the time and energy. I get it. I know. When I started this business, I basically kissed my wife and my kids and said, seven days a week, three to four years, I got to do it all. And I had a team because that's what it means to be an entrepreneur. That's the, that's the choice you got to make. I'm challenging you to think about what I'm sharing. I'm challenging you to dream a little bit and let these, let these pebbles just kind of get those, get those like rings, like those ideas, that imagination, that, that spark that you had when you first started, right? Go back to that moment. Like, how can we do it better? More clients, increase the value, increase the frequency, penetrate some new markets, offer some new products and services, maybe buy a competitor or two, or maybe sell your own, like all of it. You do that, you honor me, you honor yourself, you honor your family, and you honor my mentor who I started this with, Jay Abraham. So that's all I got. The truth is I could talk for 15 days on this, but that's all the time they're giving me. So thank you so much for watching. Can't wait to get your feedback. Post some comments. Ask a question on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you are, LinkedIn, yada, yada. Let me know what you're thinking about. And if I could ever help, by all means, reach out and let me know. All right, guys. See you later. Talk soon. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.